Fake, fake, fakeity fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienno. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News and talk about adverse reactions with my friend Vienno. Sure, why not? Yeah, How- that's what we're doing, <laughs> I guess. How are you, Vienno? <laughs> well, apparently I'm having adverse reactions. <laughs> Um, I mean, it's it's nondescript, but you can probably guess what it's about. No idea, of course. What could it be? <laughs> Such a mystery. But yeah, I'm okay. It's really, really hot out. It's like, it's supposed to be like 42 degrees tomorrow. I'm not looking forward to it. Yeah, it is. It is soupy. That would be my best descriptor. Yes. All like, I think for the majority of the time, like my plants have been well watered, but even when I water them extensively right now, they still look wilty as shit during the day. It's just so hot. Yeah. I love I love to feel like every step I take is just swimming a little bit. Gross, but uh, accurate. <laughs> yeah. How are you? I'm, I'm feeling pretty pumped myself, but uh, I think this is going to be a quick episode anyways. Uh, not much to get into, so uh, just more anti-vax shit, which is how it goes. But uh, I guess we'll do it. This is the Imperial Roundup. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. This is what happened on the Rebel from August 9th to August 13th. Ezra and the rest of right-wing media reported on a party for Barack Obama in order to make a hypocrisy argument about COVID and the elite. Look at the rich having a fun, mask-free time with all their rich celebrity friends. While we, the uh, lowly people, we are all locked down and and wearing masks. And, like, I agree, like, it's bad optics and this sucks. But uh, from Ezra, this is just fake populist rage with uh, racial overtones. Ezra chats with Alan Bokhari about the Anti-Defamation League working with PayPal to remove extremists from their platform. They use this story to make a general point about companies depersoning conservatives, such as GoFundMe blocking campaigns to pay the legal fees for bakers who refuse to bake cakes for gay people. Ezra then talks about Robert Spencer, not Richard Spencer, different dude, uh, Robert Spencer being depersoned by the liberal ADL. Spencer is an Islamophobic bigot who co-founded American Freedom Defense Initiative with Pamela Geller, whose writings were quoted and praised by Anders Breivik in his White Supremacist Manifesto after he murdered 77 people in Norway. It is also worth mentioning that Ezra had Geller on his show the week before. So this is just a continuation of Ezra praising and promoting people who are praised by a mass murderer for their Islamophobic bigotry. Of course, Ezra doesn't explain why these people are being removed from these platforms, just that they are conservatives. Ezra praises the first few liberal ads, suggesting they make Trudeau look like a strong leader. He then criticizes O'Toole for running an ad against even having an election because of COVID, which Ezra thinks is weak. Ezra's initial election prediction, given these ads, is that the liberals will win a majority government, as we continue our slide into liberal authoritarianism. I think Trudeau's going to win. I think Canada's descent into authoritarianism will continue. 
Trudeau has always told us he admires communist regimes like China and Cuba. He wants to be leader for life, like they have in those countries too. Ezra discusses a $61 million payout for cultural industries, which the government describes as emergency relief. Ezra thinks that this means that the Liberal government gave $61 million solely to media companies to give Liberals charitable coverage during the election. If Trudeau didn't pay reporters a $61 million payout, they might not report on what the government's doing. So it's an emergency. Better get them that money quick before the election or they might not cover the news. <laughs> really? Do you mean they might not report friendly enough? Is that what you meant to say? Or they might not report pro-liberal enough? Is that what you meant to say? You really think that reporters who are working right now, writing stories for the news right now, you really think they wouldn't cover this election, cover the news right now, unless you gave me a $61 million bonus right now before the election? Is that what you're saying? $61 million shared among all media companies seems like a pitiful amount to buy influence. But Ezra gets to further the conspiracy by highlighting that the government did not name the recipients of the emergency relief. Staff would not answer repeated requests for names of publishers and the amounts they received under the ad hoc program called Emergency Support for Cultural Industries. Why is it secret? Ezra says he never watched The Handmaid's Tale because it was anti-Trump propaganda. Trump, according to Ezra, was not sexist. Therefore, the TV show was not good. I never watched that anti-Trump show called The Handmaid's Tale. It was meant to be a commentary on Trump. The show's creator said so, which is odd because there's a lot of misogyny that really is in the world, but I can't think of any that came from Trump. Of course, Ezra never mentions the many credible accusations against Trump of sexual assault, rape, and harassment, not to mention his choice of Mike Pence as VP and his general courting of the religious right by appointing anti-abortion judges to the Supreme Court. Ezra then claims the original book was about the Islamic Republic of Iran, but that Atwood wrote the story to be about America because she's a coward. I see it coming from Iran, for example. I can actually see it coming from radical transgender activists, too, if you want to talk about women's rights and women's spaces, but not from the Christian right. You know that Margaret Atwood, who wrote the original novel some 40-odd years ago, she said she was actually basing the concept loosely on the revolution in Iran and its anti-women Islamic tenets, but she lacked the courage to criticize Islam, so she made the tyrants American conservative Christians. Atwood has been explicit since the time the book was written that her inspiration was focus on the family, the moral majority, and the Christian coalition, all of which were far-right anti-women, anti-LGBTQ, Christian fascist movements that helped to elect Ronald Reagan at the time. Not to mention that the book itself, in the epilogue, references the Islamic Republic of Iran as a comparison to Gilead, which is the made-up country in Atwood's book. So, contrary to her being a coward, she made the uh, comparison herself in the book. He then says, Instead of being the victims of an Islamic revolution, we are currently going through a hygiene revolution. I mention this because in our new tyranny, our new authoritarian world that happens so quickly, that happened without a battle, without a vote, without a choice, without a question, it just happened from within. But strangely, it happened from within everywhere at the same time. That's odd, isn't it? And it was just done. And at first, people signed up for the hygiene revolution. They wore their masks and socially distanced, and they followed the rules. But two weeks to flatten the curve, like my very short prison visit, you'll be done very soon, just stay with it. 
two weeks to flatten the curve. It's now almost two years. <sighs> Andrew Lawton is on to talk about the election, and they discuss how the media is focused on Bill 21 in Quebec, but are seemingly cool with masks and vaccine mandates. One of the issues they've been obsessed with for uh, years is, I think it's called Bill 21 in Quebec, which is the secular law that if you work in the public mm -hmm. sector, you can't have an ostentatious or conspicuous religious accoutrement. So for example, you can't wear a hijab. You can't wear a big cross, I imagine. You can't um, have a Jewish yarmulke, I guess. I don't know all the details of the rule. Um, the Globe and Mail has been ferociously opposed to that for years, citing the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And fine, I mean, I, I get the other side of that. Personally, I want a secular, uh, nonpartisan public sector, but I can understand why people say you can have reasonable accommodation and allow a yarmulke or a Sikh turban or a hijab. I see both sides, frankly, and I, and I can think about a hundred issues I'd rather talk about than that in terms of importance. But the Globe and Mail has made it their signature issue and because they're so, they care so much about the Charter of Rights for minorities. Okay, good. Appreciate that. And then they come out saying, I don't care if you have a medical reason, I don't care if you have a religious reason, a conscientious reason, vaccine passports, or you're not even allowed in private sector establishments like restaurants and gyms and bars. I just don't know how these Toronto fancy pants can have in their same mind, we must allow hijab, seek turbans and yarmulkes in the public sector but you're not even allowed to be a conscientious objector, religious objector, or medical objector in the private sector, and that's fine charter-wise. I just don't know how they're such acrobats to hold both of those uh, irreconcilable positions at once. I just don't even know. What they don't consider is that whether or not someone wears a hijab, a yamluk, a cross, or a turban, they're not being detrimental to public health, like those who refuse to get vaccinated. What about our freedom to not be infected with a deadly disease? Instead, Andrew suggests that those against Bill 21 and in favor of mask mandates don't care about freedom at all. They only care about multiculturalism and public safety. Well, if I may, I, I think it's because they're not actually reaching either of those positions through an assessment of freedom. Even the opposition of, of Bill C-21, they may cloak their concerns in charter language and constitutional liberties language, but their actual basis is diversity and multiculturalism. Mm -hmm. They're not using freedom as the foundation for that argument because they don't view these things through that lens at all. So when it comes right. to vaccine passports, the civil liberties aspect doesn't factor in at all. They're thinking of we need to get to this COVID zero outcome, the consequences on individual choice be damned, and, and this is how we're going to do it. I guess what Andrew is saying is that he is in favor of people banning others from wearing religious symbols, but that he is against mandating food safety because it is anti-freedom. And that is the week. The main segment, again, uh, is going to be about uh, COVID and vaccines and all that shit. I'm surprised with how many times they come up with m more, I guess, wrong things to say about COVID. <laughs> like, I, the only reason I bring up COVID on the show is when they say something that's relatively new or at least come back to a point they made before to, to trot on, like, old ground. But, like, I try to avoid talking about it as much as possible because it gets to a point where it's like you think they would have said 
everything they need to say by now, you know? Yeah, it's... They just keep coming up with new bullshit. Like, I mean, I guess that's what they do with everything, <laughs> but... But they've been really on this whole COVID thing. It's just like, okay, we get it. You don't think there's a fucking pandemic. Like, go die about it already. And I will say, this episode is the week before the election was called. So my guess is uh, for the future weeks, hopefully we will move into more election-related stuff. But for right now, we're still doing uh, some COVID stuff. And, and it starts off strong. Ezra is out there promoting uh, chicken pox parties. <laughs> I'm old enough, I'm 49, to vaguely remember that when we were kids, parents sometimes had things like chicken pox parties where healthy kids would deliberately be taken to play with other kids who were sick so they'd catch the disease when they were young and you'd get over it easily. The thinking being catching some of those diseases when you're a teenager or a grown-up is much, much worse. I know there are risks each way. There are risks in life. No matter what you do, there are risks to doing nothing. God. Do you know what a chicken pox party is? I know of them. I think that they were done by the time I was like a child because the chicken, bo- the chicken pox vaccine had become a thing. I know that they're bad. I know that it was just like, oh, one kid's got chicken pox, so everybody gathers to get the chicken pox so that you're immune afterwards. Did you ever get chicken pox? I got chicken pox, I think, two or three times. I probably need to go. I don't know if I was vaccinated as well, and it just didn't take or something, but I probably need to, like, go see about getting a vaccine again just to see because, yeah, like, I got really mild cases multiple times, and it wasn't enough to give me an immunity at any point. I mean, that that is the one obvious reason why chicken pox parties are not a great thing to do in the first place, because contrary to popular belief, uh, you can catch it more than once. I think mm-hmm. it, like, com- compared to other viruses, it may be the case that chicken pox, uh, once you get it, 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 it creates enough antibodies that a lot of people can be good to go after getting it. But of course, like, that doesn't mean that I mean, Ezra's going to use this chicken pox party idea to sort of like promote the idea of like innate or natural immunity, right? Yeah. And and he's he's talking about chicken pox party, uh, parties largely in that light, saying that before there was a chicken pox vaccine, this is how we dealt with the chicken pox. And it wasn't good to do it back then <laughs> for the reason of like you could catch it again. But also like an, another like contrary to popular belief, like chicken pox can do actual like long-term damage sometimes like not always but like there's a reason why we have a vaccine now and it's a good thing that we have a vaccine now and it's not just because like it's uh, mildly inconvenient to have like little pox on you that are itchy and irritating for like a, a week or so there's also the same thing about covid where it's like if you have an immunocompromised relative or someone like me who got mild cases but probably doesn't have immunity to it and like chances are if i wanted to go get a vaccine now i would have to pay for it because it's only free for like certain ages and whatever other bullshit but it would probably really fuck me up now if i got it type of thing or like even older people who don't have an immunity to it isn't that what shingles is doesn't shingles kill people? Uh, it can. Uh, like, and I do I do think they're related. I'm not sure if they are the exact same thing or not. 
Uh, I'm not a medical doctor, so I didn't prepare for that question. <laughs> but I do often Shame. hear people say uh, say that chickenpox is related to shingles, so they could be the same thing. I think the thing, the other, like one of the things that connects to COVID is the idea that chickenpox doesn't often kill people, but it has long-term consequences uh, that are still important to want to protect against, right? But I remember even when they came up with the chickenpox vaccine that a lot of people were like, well, why would we vaccine? Why would we vaccinate ourselves against this thing that's not going to kill us? As if like... You know, the like as if getting infected with a disease is just, yeah, it's a disease, you know? <laughs> no harm will come from it. I, I'm more familiar with measles, too. Like, a lot of people talk about how, like, a lot of people don't die who get the measles. But it's, like, one of the more common uh, consequences of getting the measles is, like, encephalitis. So it's, like, do you want, like, brain swelling? Like, brain swelling is not a good thing to have, regardless if the thing doesn't kill you. Listen, not everybody dies of smallpox. Like, (laughs) not everybody dies of polio. It's just so silly the way uh, people talk about disease. Uh, and, And I wonder if that's an effect of living in a society where disease has largely been held at bay due to vaccines. Uh, over the decades but uh hopefully hopefully after this uh pandemic maybe we'll have a bit more of an awareness going forward hopefully (laughs) at least Uh, for most people we'll see about that yeah yeah it's obviously not going to affect the people like ezra (laughs) Mm -hmm. ezra then he he wants to go on to a bit of a, a a side tangent again which is uh, something uh, that we I've highlighted before that he's talked about on the show, which is the idea that Quebec specifically had a higher rate of COVID fatalities. And his reason for thinking that Quebec was worse or somehow more represent or, or he thinks that not only is Quebec worse, but it had the most death and it was all because of pro-euthanasia. And that if we just fix, fix Quebec's like a, uh, penchant for wanting to die that some <laughs> somehow our numbers would be way lower <laughs> what what the riskiest thing is for a pandemic virus coronavirus according to the global mail and a public inquiry in quebec the biggest risk factor in canada for coronavirus is if you're in a quebec long-term care home where they believe in euthanasia. Just hundreds and hundreds of people killed when you prescribe morphine and basically pull the plug. I'm not quite sure why that's not called a sort of homicide. Yeah, because like Quebecers, they just hate life. They're pro-abortion, pro-euthanasia. So they like, he literally says that Quebec's numbers are higher because their people were killed. So they didn't die from the disease. They were euthanized. And that's why they had higher death numbers. Are you not curious why Quebec, with less than a quarter of the population of Canada, had so many deaths, especially in the first year? That's why, according to the, the doctors and the nurses who testified before the inquiry, it's because it's because they were killed. I mean, what can you say? <laughs> when he's right, he's right. The Quebecois love death and dying. Yeah. <laughs> and... I mean, he, what the fuck? He's, <laughs> he's hit on this before. And this is like, this is the first time where he literally was just out there. And he, he said that Quebec's numbers are higher because the people were killed. And I'm just like, 
what the fuck are you talking about? Like, how would you even have, like, he must think that, like, there's this, like, all throughout the long-term care homes throughout Quebec, people are just like, oh, this person got a little bit of an illness, kill him. <laughs> Somebody coughs once and they just get taken out to the backyard <laughs> like a lame horse. <laughs> They call it old yellering. <laughs> <laughs> it's just such it's such a weird fucking argument. Like for one, I like I, I don't know, like you would have to I would say like point to other countries in Europe that have lower death numbers that that have dealt with COVID better than we have and yet are also like super pro euthanasia. And, and are not concerned about it to the extent that the Christian right is in Canada, right? Like, like he's doing no sociological analysis here. It's merely Quebec's higher. Quebec is more pro-euthanasia than the rest of Canada. Therefore, they're killing people rather than, uh, I don't know, <laughs> rather than letting them slowly die due to COVID. I don't know. Ezra's an amateur thanatologist. So, I mean, so his point here is to highlight this to then go, see, like, our numbers are inflated uh, due to the fact that Quebec's just killing people, and uh, therefore we don't need vaccines. And he's like, and, and then he starts going into, like, well, like, what are the issues with the vaccines? And so he then starts talking about thalidomide. I'm going to show you images right now that are not for the faint of heart, so look away now if you must. We believe in testing medicines and not just for a little while, testing for years because when a drug called thalidomide was tested insufficiently, moms had babies without limbs, terrible tragedy, a medicine that hurt people. And that's why we test and test and you can't rush tests because how do you know how it affects babies in the long term or breastfeeding or a young man or a young woman's fertility later? You don't know until time passes. I don't know if you're, you're aware of what thalidomide was. Never heard of it. So that was like a big issue with cr creating what they called like flipper babies and stuff like this. They were, uh, it was a drug that was given to a lot of people, including uh, pregnant women, and it caused several thousand uh, women to give birth to uh, children with birth defects. And it was a huge scandal. They had to pull the thing. I think the drug is actually useful for some other things. It was just that they started giving it to pregnant women and then you had all these things and it was a huge scandal. Okay. And Ezra says uh, by like referring to that, that therefore with vaccines, you need lots of tests. Even though thalidomide was not a vaccine, it was done at a time when that there was like less regulatory control over these things. So they were giving it to pregnant women without studying whether it caused birth defects. Uh, <laughs> like the comparisons don't really exist here at all. But the idea is like, look, in the past, there was something that caused some issues and our government let us down and the companies took advantage of us. That therefore, any medical advance is just like, could possibly have something extreme happen to us. So we need to be really concerned and we need to have lots and lots of tests. Thank goodness they've been doing lots and lots of tests. Yeah. <laughs> well, you see, the convenience of this argument is that this is how they can move the goalpost to the thing to, to the extent at which no uh, amount of tests is going to be sufficient. You can always run more tests, right? 
you can never be 100% sure. So you can, one more test, please. One more test before I think they're safe. And therefore your anti-vaxxers can keep like holding it at an arm's distance and justifying never getting the vaccine. I love having COVID forever. So then he runs through a bunch of other like same old talking points that we don't have to go over. One is like, uh, uh, if this was like the plague, you wouldn't need to be bribing people to take it. And I'm sure there was people who would uh, deny plague stuff if we had a plague too. So uh, I disagree. And then we get the uh, the weird uh, abortion line, which is, uh, where are the pro-choice people now? Isn't it my body, my choice to get the vaccine? And uh, I-, I will highlight here, we did a video recently on stream, which was uh, an anti-vaxxer talking about like the 30 question pro-vaxxers won't answer. And this was one of those ones too. And I have to say, if someone gets an abortion, it doesn't affect me. (laughs) If someone refuses to vaccinate themselves and then spreads a disease to me, it affects me, right? Like, why is this so complicated? I am glad that both pregnancy and abortion don't spread through the air, I gotta say. (laughs) Sperm becomes aerosolized? (laughs) We'd just be fungi at that point. Or better yet, the eggs become aerosolized. Both. Then then we get a great a great talking point that I have not heard yet, okay? According to Ezra, more Torontonians have been shot and killed than are dying from COVID. There are so many Toronto shootings these days, by the way, and the police tweet about them all, uh, that it's plain to me that more Torontonians are getting shot that are dying from COVID. And most of those getting shot are not, you know, 90 year olds, but being euthanized by long-term care homes, they're, they're young men. I mean, if you look at Quebec, then he's not, <laughs> you know? With the like, old yellering that's going on. <laughs> exactly, that's, they're getting shot. They're not dying of COVID. Oh my God. So uh, in 2020, 39 people died of gunshots in Toronto. Does that sound more or less than who died of COVID? That's a good one. Um, let me just think a little bit. Hmm. I think more than 39 people died from COVID. <laughs> I gotta say, in the biggest city in the country. Just a guess, though. This is uh, since the start of the pandemic. 3,579 people have died from COVID in Toronto, which is, I think if you did the math, uh, 3,579 is bigger than 39 people. Mm, I don't know. I'm going to open my calculator real quick. I realize in one of our uh, recent episodes, we talked about math being uh, not good (laughs) and we should get rid of it. Or I think we canceled math, didn't we? We canceled math on our show, but we're bringing it back just for this, okay? I I will say as well, in case these numbers are too big and abstract, even in just the month of December in 2020, 64 people died of COVID in Toronto, just for that one month. So 64 in one month is bigger than the 39 people died of gunshot wounds in a year. So why is he such an idiot? (laughs) I did get a bigger number. By multiplying the 3,579 by 34. And that's a much bigger number than both of those. So. God damn it. I don't know. Numbers get bigger? 
yeah. So, <laughs> who knows, really? Can't quite answer that question. <laughs> I, you know what? I wish that we were the in the position of just being able to make up shit all the time. Like, there's something freeing to just be like, more Torontonians are being shot than die from COVID, and just being able to say that with no, like, internal dialogue going, does that sound right? Should I double check this? Maybe I should look into this. Listen, there's a real gun pandemic going on right now. I mean, like, when you put it that way, too, like, what's going on here is there's definitely, like, racial, racial undertones in this, obviously. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean... Honestly, Ezra bringing up Toronto alone is probably racial undertones. Yeah, race. Like <laughs> merely saying Toronto is a racist dog whistle. <laughs> for Ezra, yeah. Like Yeah. I it's the same thing with like whenever right wingers are like, Oh, the the elites in Toronto or you know, in the US it'll be like, Oh, the coastal elites is like, Oh, you're talking about the most diverse cities in the country. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder why you're pointing there. Because I know you're not pointing at the bankers. I mean, it's like the Obama story, too, where it's like, how many rich fucks are doing rich fuck stuff? But it's like, they have to make a big scene out of, like, a bad Obama, right? Yeah. And I wonder why. Hmm. Not that Obama doesn't suck. It's just like, you know, the fact that they dwell on him as opposed to everyone else is a little telling. So then Ezra's going to ask the deep questions, okay? He wants to know, how come we don't get stats? about all the people who have died from the vaccine. So lots of statistics, I've shown you some, the fear mongers show you others, but why don't we hear stats on a daily basis in the same way about people who are injured or killed from the vaccines themselves? Is that, is that not an interesting question? I think it's interesting. When we were still giving AstraZeneca out, anytime somebody got a blood clot, it was like, all over cbc it was all over all the media things the like handful of times somebody died from one of those blood clots also all over the news i don't think there's been anybody else like no they're just not releasing those stats fiona <laughs> it's just a separate counter on the cbc page that's just like here's the number of cases in canada today here's the number of deaths today Here's the number of vaccines given today. Here's the number of deaths today. And every day the deaths is zero. So then Ezra decides that he's going to do the research himself and figure it out. And so Ezra finds this thing that's called the adverse events following immunization. For those who might uh, be Americans listening to this, this is the equivalent of VAERS in the U.S., which is the uh, vaccine adverse event uh, thing. <laughs> And, and basically, the premise of these programs is that vaccine companies are aware, or even the government is aware, that when you institute something uh, for a mass population, that things might uh, appear in the data that you didn't get on the smaller numbers in your tests. And so the point of having these databases is, is for anyone who has some sort of reaction in an un just like there's also no time limit so this could be people who like three four weeks after getting the vaccine are calling into this database saying that something happened to them and then going maybe it was because of the vaccine right and the point of doing this is just uh to see if there's a signal in the noise and and then start an investigation to see whether there's actually 
a causal relationship as to whether the vaccine caused a bunch of things. So it's ju it's just basically a way of going, look, anyone who gets a vaccine and then something happens, call this database. And if uh, they get a bunch of calls all saying that a bunch of people have a certain type of symptom, then they might go, hey, this is a maybe we should look into this. Right. That's all mm -hmm. that this is for. Ezra speculates that it's going to be taken down and scrubbed from the internet, although I don't know why the hell that would happen. I guess he's assuming that somehow the information for these adverse events is contrary to, like, the line that the vaccines are safe or something, so they're going to scrub it, although it's always been around. Why would they do that, Ezra? <laughs> is it, like, a federally funded thing, then? Yeah. It's done through the government, and it's supposed to, like, decrease the liability of, of like, pharmaceutical companies who give out vaccines, especially when yeah. you take it on as a big public uh, policy to get everyone immunized. And it makes sense because some of these things, like, for example, we're going to get to it, but the AstraZeneca, the, the such low numbers of these blood clots made it so that in the initial tests, it, it wasn't appearing in the data. And it wasn't until you mm -hmm. started vaccine, uh, giving vaccines to millions of people that it started to show up, right? And that's the whole point you have a database like this is to like, all of a sudden they're getting calls with people having these blood clots after the vaccines and then they might go, hey, maybe we should look into this. Yeah. But Ezra's like, it's going to be scrapped. It's still not scrapped. It's it's up. I, I read the document that he uh, read for this episode. <laughs> now, to Ezra's credit, he reads it and he does read the warning in the document that states that this data is not causal. Now, what that means is that the government is trying to tell you that the data that's in the adverse event uh, document does not indicate that. Uh, so say if it says that 200 people had this symptom after receiving a vaccine, what the document is trying to say is that it doesn't tell you that this thing that people got was caused by the vaccine, right? All it is saying is that people called the line and indicated that they had this thing for however many weeks after receiving a vaccine. So it's not causal. And if you conclude that it's causal, you're reading the information wrong, okay? And Ezra reads this. And then literally in the next sentence, he goes, It is important to know that the adverse uh, events described in this report are defined as any untoward medical occurrences that follow an immunization and do not necessarily have a causal relationship with the vaccine. So they're saying just because these health problems happened right after someone took the vaccine doesn't mean the vaccine caused it. And, and that's technically true. Of course, that's theoretically true. But I think it's much more likely that you, if you have an adverse event right after a vaccine, it's much more likely uh, to be true. <sighs> And I like, obviously, if anyone knows, if you're a data scientist, you're cringing out of your like skull right now. But like, you, you can't determine what's likely or not likely based on this information. For one, if you have a bunch of anti-vaccine people, they could be calling this hotline and giving them like false information. That's why like, there's nothing in this data that could tell you anything other than maybe we should look at this. That's all this system is for. If you get any conclusion about likelihood or causality from this, you are reading this data wrong. And so right away, Ezra is going to read this data wrong. Isn't that wonderful? Woohoo. So great. He, that, <laughs> he even says, not, so not only is it likely, he even claims that this, is, uh, this data is more reliable than people who die 
from COVID? If you have an adverse event right after a vaccine, it's much more likely uh, to be true than the test for reporting deaths from COVID, which is actually reporting deaths with COVID typically 30 days, as in you died, maybe from a heart attack or a stroke, but that death was blamed on COVID because you also happened to be tested positive for COVID within 30 days of the death. I'm serious. That is the definition of so many death stats for COVID. That's why a person falling off a ladder was counted as a COVID death. I'm not even kidding. He even mentions here this ladder case, which was his go-to example of them falsely attributing uh, a death to COVID when this person died from falling from a ladder. However, yeah. when I researched this case back then, the dude fell from the ladder because he had, and then died not from falling from the ladder, but because he had phlegm in his lungs that was caused by COVID-19. Hence, he died from COVID-19, even if he fell off a ladder. Yeah. Which is like all the cases that they want to think. And like, there's probably a couple cases that were falsely attributed to COVID-19, but overwhelming data shows that it's probably likely that we're undercounting these cases, not overcounting these cases. And so there's probably a lot more people who have died from COVID that we misattributed to other causes. Yeah. He then indicates that this adverse uh, event information suggests that there's 9,000 adverse incidents that have been recorded uh, after 19 million doses of vaccines. Sorry, I th these numbers don't line up. Like, What do you mean? 19 million doses, and you know, granted this is a couple weeks or whatever after that episode aired, but like, right now, like I can't imagine that in that time period, 8 million more people have gotten their first dose, let alone the fact that most people needed to get two doses. So therefore, like, it should be at least doubled, I would assume. Because our current population that is has received at least one dose is at 27 million. Yes, so this is, this is an old... I mean, it's old data in that the document was released recently, but the data was from, like, earlier on. Because obviously they're not... They're not updating this document to the minute, if that makes sense. Right? Okay. I thought that he was claiming that 19 million doses had been given. I was like, that's so... No, so the, what the so document is saying is that according to, to the adverse events data, 9,000 adverse events were recorded. And at the time that that, that number was recorded, 19 million doses were given. So that's 9,000 adverse incidents were called into this hotline after 19 million doses were given. Okay? Okay. Now, obviously these numbers aren't... Uh, he, like, compare that. You got 9,000 to 19 million, okay? And I just wanted to mm -hmm. highlight that currently we have 1.4 people had cases of COVID in Canada. Uh, that's 1.4 million. million. Yeah. Okay. And 26,000 deaths. So that significantly less people had COVID than got the vaccine and a significantly higher number died than called into this hotline with an adverse event. And that's that's ignoring the fact that these adverse events could be caused by anything, right? Because this data does not tell you whether they're caused by the vaccine or not. So that could be somebody calling in being like, I got the vaccine and then I, I had an extreme diarrhea and it, therefore uh, it was caused by the vaccine. And then they're like, they jot it down on their thing. But that doesn't tell you that they could have had diarrhea because they ate a spicy pepper, all right? Like, <laughs> Sure. 
which is why you gotta do further studies. That's how this works. Ezra then claims that the data showed that there was something bad for AstraZeneca. We already sort of talked about that. Then he makes some like weird conspiracy theory that they panicked after this, and then they paused it before Trudeau forced them to release the vaccine again. Do you see what's happening? Ordinary Canadians were the guinea pigs in a giant experiment. It started going really bad, so they paused it. But then they unpaused it because Trudeau bought so much of that vax. Hey, no problem. Did you know that this was still an experiment? Maybe you did, but did, did they tell people that this wasn't fully tested yet? How, how do you feel about the fact that healthy people were promised protection by the government and they in fact got ill at such a rate that the government panicked and paused things and then restarted things. I'm not sure which is worse. Yeah, I don't think that we brought AstraZeneca back at any point. Or is he just saying the vaccines in general? No, the AstraZeneca was used in a limited time as they were getting rid of, I think, what they had for the population where it was shown to be safe for a while. That did happen. Okay. Because again, the blood clots were only happening in younger women. So you could give it to older people and it would be just as effective and fine. And given that, I think the reasoning then was it would be better to be vaccinated than to get COVID. So take this AstraZeneca, AstraZeneca vaccine if it's available and you're older was the reasoning. Okay, yeah, I vaguely remember that. That makes sense. He also then adds that the existence of adverse reactions like those from AstraZeneca means that the companies were not testing the vaccines. Uh, and then I'm like, but this is the point of having the adverse reaction data, right? It's to catch this stuff ahead of the time. I want to know, like, in his head what you would think would happen here. Because the only way you would know that there was, like, a one in a million chance of getting an adverse reaction to a vaccine is if you test the vaccine on, like, a million people. And even if there's something like one in a hundred million, you would need to test the vaccine on a hundred million people before you get that one person to get, like, to get it. And so it's like the only way to run a test like that is to start vaccinating the entire population. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like you couldn't run a test for such for such like tiny effects. Which is why there's like some limit where they just go, well, if like one in a million people are fine, let's release this vaccine and see where it goes, you know? Because then yeah. you're getting into territory of just, like, random shit happening, you know? It just gets really... Like, it's amazing to me how much, like, they want to freak out about these, like, tiny effect sizes for possible adverse events. When it's like, COVID is actually killing people. So, we started this uh, trek down the adverse uh, events data in order so that... Ezra could answer the question, how many people have died from the vaccines? And according to the data uh, that was given on this sheet, Ezra claims it says that only six people died from vaccines in Ontario. And this could be people with blood clots or other things like this that they attributed to the vaccine in some capacity. Yeah. However, Ezra then says, but then there's 167 deaths nationwide, and so this is a weird underreporting thing, and he's going on about it. But what the report says is that these deaths, the 167 that he, he's claiming also exist, are being investigated and that there were other comorbidities that make determining, determining the cause of death difficult. 
And what that means is like, say you're someone who is uh, obese and therefore have a high likelihood of something like dying from heart disease. And yet you get the vaccine and then you die of heart disease, disease shortly after. Was that something that you were never inevitably going to die from the heart disease anyways? Or was it exacerbated somehow by the vaccine? And some of these things, it just gets to the point where it's like, maybe it was a vaccine. Maybe it wasn't. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Even if we accept 167 deaths nationwide, given the amount of vaccines that have been given out, is this a large number? <laughs> it's It's not. In fact, I would even say that it's, it's smaller than the currently counted like 26 or 27,000 and the projected, I think, over 50,000 deaths from COVID that have happened in this country. It's just amazing for him to like be fear-mongering over this when it's like so not impactful. Like these vaccines, and if, if anything, like the vaccines have lowered the incidence of death. We have tons of information on that. You can just look at how like low, like right now, our cases are starting to go up again, but deaths are remaining quite low. And that's because most people who get a breakthrough infection with the vaccine are not dying from the virus, which is good. So get vaccinated. <laughs> the super frustrating thing about all of this is that like, you know, there there have been some arguments where it's like, oh, it's, you know, we handled COVID relatively okay, so it hasn't made that much of a, like, death impact. Like, it's not like everybody knows somebody who has died of COVID type of thing. So, you know, because of the success, there are people who are, like, treating it like it wasn't actually that big of a crisis. Yeah. But then, you know, you look at the fucking U.S. or Brazil or wherever else where it's just like, oh no, even when shit's really bad, these people still don't care. Like, there is nothing that can make them, like, actually give a shit about other human beings. And that's just so... Like, what the fuck are you supposed to do about that? Like, They're a death cult. They don't care about the lives of people. They just want to be able yeah. to go to buy their soda drinks from the store while breathing on other people because uh, freedom and they don't give a shit about other people. And I think like at this point, tons of people are going to be connected to people who died. Uh, there was a member of my family who died from it. You know, this is, this is what it is. And I, I think especially in America, there's going to be tons of people who know someone who dies. Oh um, yeah. No, I, but that I was kind of contrasting here to the U S where we aren't, at that level, even though, again, we didn't actually handle it well. It's one of those, it's always the comparison to the U.S. Yeah. type of thing where it's like, <laughs> you know, we can do absolutely horribly, but then the U.S. will always do it worse. So somehow it looks like, oh, we're doing all right. On this front, we should have made New Zealand the comparison. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know shit about what's going on over there. Like... Because I also don't, I don't really know what their, like, anti-vaccine is like. Because that was kind of the main point, right? Like, although Australia, you know, Australia and their whole, like, anti-lockdown and anti-vax stuff is pretty big. And they, I think they had, like, a couple hundred cases in the country earlier this week. And it was, like, the worst that things have ever, ever gotten. And it's just, like 
then you contrast that with North America and it's like, oh, yeah, no, the right wing is the same everywhere. They, they just love dying for the market. He ends this segment, at least, by saying that uh, the vaccines have also not been uh, proved yet for emer- or they're still uh they're still only available for emergency use they haven't been proven to to be effective yet or safe yet and uh again we have the hindsight of it being approved yesterday <laughs> and my guess is that it won't matter and we'll get to that in a bit but it is worth acknowledging that for the longest time Ezra has constantly said that the vaccine is not safe because it's an emergency use. And it's no longer an emergency use, at least Pfizer. And so let's see if Ezra changes his tune. But I don't think he will. The next sort of like story he wants to get into is there was this German nurse who injected people with saline uh, because she was skeptical of the vaccine. So she gave people a ineffective vaccine and, uh, you know, had consequences for doing that because that is unethical uh beyond unethical it's fucking atrocious that this person did it and ezra begins by telling this story in part because he wants to point out that look even nurses who should know better right we've heard this one from him before which is that the nurses should know better and like look they're even skeptical of vaccines but at least ezra condemns this person <laughs> so- so we got we got a firm uh, commitment from Ezra that he is against injecting people with saline against their uh, will. So small victories. Yeah. <laughs> but then he says that the vaccine passport is the reverse of injecting people with saline. A vaccine skeptical nurse apparently gave thousands of doses of saline solution just salt water instead of vaccines because she was worried about people being poisoned by them. And so she, well, I guess she deceived them. She tricked them by giving them a, you know, a placebo instead and telling them they were vaccinated. Now that's obviously wrong to do. Even if you are vaccine skeptical or vaccine hesitant to trick someone into injecting something else to switch their medical prescription on them because you think you know better than them, that violates their consent, that violates their personal and bodily integrity. And so surely any outrage against this woman for taking thousands of people's lives in her own hands, surely we should feel the same when it's the reverse. When it's someone forcing a vaccine on someone who doesn't want the vaccine, who doesn't want their privacy or bodily integrity violated under duress. If you want the vaccine, then take it. But it's not free and informed consent if you're forced at gunpoint to take it. I I, I feel like I want to, he's trying to say that it's the equivalent of the government doing something wrong by being like too pro-vaccine or something. And he uses this. So th- this whole, the, the German nurse thing and all this and the vaccine passports is all so we can talk to jo- uh, Janine Eunice, super leftist, uh, you know, the most hardcore leftist known to uh, all of us who works for uh, libertarian think tanks. <laughs> 
I, I tried to do a little bit more research into Janine Eunice because she's now been on his show like almost every week for the past few weeks. And she like came out of nowhere. And that like interested me, right? Like I was like, who is yeah. this person? Where did they come from? What is going on here? And I tried to find anything on her and I can't. Like her, her Twitter account right now it's called Lefty Lockdowns 1 or, or Lefty Against Lockdowns 1, something like this. I can't remember what the Twitter handle is. But, like, that tells you that the Twitter account was created after the lockdown. Like, it even says it was created, like, September 2020, something like this, okay? I did find her Twitter account that was created back in 2017, but it's, like, secured off. Like, it's uh, it's got the lock in it. I can't see anything that she used to tweet or she tweets in her personal account. So she did create this public persona thing. She also, like... The only other information I can find from her is that she studied religious studies at Cornell. Then she studied uh, law at University of New York before becoming uh, a lawyer who, who fights uh, civil litigation. And then somehow got involved with the anti-lockdown people and all that and is now working for all these conservative think tanks that hired her after she started posting as lefty against the lockdowns. Hmm. Now, she did a Reddit Ask Me Anything recently, and I looked into it, and there was one post where somebody asked the question, how does a lefty get to working for a pro-libertarian think tank? And her response to it was kind of like, Let's just say politically inept. <laughs> it's kind of like, we can all get along. and They're all just about freedom anyways, and we can all hold hands. And even though I'm still kind of a lefty, although she said I'm kind of a lefty, but then she goes, but I never really thought about things like climate change and all this. And now that I realize with this whole COVID thing and I look into it, it's probably going to show me that like everyone was wrong about global like climate change too. So like... You know, I don't know. Maybe I won't be a lefty after I, like, go through this deep uh, self-evaluation uh, or some shit like this, okay? Sure. But she course. says she still is a lefty or at least came from a, a lefty area to a certain extent. Now, the only thing I could find from her past that would give me some indication of anything was she wrote, like, a piece in, like, a Cornell alumni magazine back in, like, before the COVID thing happened. And in it, she was talking about why people should go to Cornell to take religious studies. And it's a short little thing. It was easy to read. But at one point, she mentioned that uh, that she, she is interested in seeing other perspectives because she got her religious studies degree. And it allows her to see things from the perspective of her conservative colleagues in the law profession. So even back then, I guess she was distancing herself from the conservatives in some capacity but reading at least even back then and her description of like doing her religious studies she was talking about how like christianity uh helped spawn like western civilization and was a force for good <laughs> and so i have a feeling she was always someone who was just like i like the environment and so i'm a lefty or something like this you know what i mean yeah. And like because there was no political base there, 
she probably got mad at these lockdown things because she is an upper class uh, person working out of a New York law firm. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, I guess she just really didn't like the lockdowns and is now going down a rabbit hole, which is uh, sad to see that now she's now going to be a libertarian, I guess. Hooray. (laughs) Oh, I'm just like so curious about her, I got to say. Uh, I did just find a Atlantic article that I guess she is part of. Um, this was, she says, before March 2020, I was a solid progressive Democrat. I am so disturbed by the Democrats' failure to recognize the importance of civil liberties. I'll vote for anyone who takes a strong stand for civil liberties and doesn't permit the erosion of our fundamental rights that we are seeing now. And that's, I think, all that she says. There was a tweet of hers standing in front of a picture of uh, a painting of Barack Obama. And it was like, these ex-Democrats are now like pro-Ron DeSantis Republicans. And it's like herself and a bunch of other people. And I'm like, how can you stand for civil liberties and support the dude who passed a law making it somewhat vaguely legal to run over protesters with your car? Yeah. Which tells me this is either someone who found a financial reason for going the direction she's going, or someone who just never deeply analyzed any of her political opinions up until this point. But yes, Janine Younes is on, and she's defending a professor who's refusing to be vaccinated because they already had COVID. And this uh, professor's name is Tom Zwicky. And he's from George Mason University, which is a huge right-wing economic university. Great. Him claiming that he has this natural immunity, she compares this to people showing they have been infected with chickenpox, being able to avoid immunization from the chickenpox vaccine. Now, I don't know for a fact that you can get away with getting a chickenpox vaccine by saying you were previously infected by it. But uh, even if that's the case, chickenpox is not COVID. So, I don't know. All diseases are the same. It's all one. It's all miasma. All miasma? It's just whispery vapors? Yeah, it's all bad air. You get sick, (laughs) it's bad air. Gotta get good air. Gotta make the air smell better. That's Next time, you know, if I'm in a space where a lot of people aren't wearing masks, I'm gonna be like, shit, what's with all this miasma? See, and that's why masks are bad is because you get caught up in your own breath. So if you already have the miasma, then you're just breathing in more miasma through the mask. Guess who got vaccinated? Janine got vaccinated? Janine got vaccinated. She said she wasn't going to get vaccinated. Yep. She said specifically on Ezra's show last week or either two weeks ago, I can't remember what it was, that she wasn't going to get vaccinated because she already had COVID. Yep. But I found a uh, podcast that is called Trish Wood is Critical um, that Janine Eunice is on. And it in the description, it says, and it came out August 20th, 2021. So four days prior so to fresh. us yeah, recording yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, that the description reads, a talented lawyer dedicated to fighting vaccine coercion explains why she caved and got the jab. She'll continue her battle for others through the courts despite her own decision. So, Janine got vaccinated. 
I wonder if it's because she's in New York and she wanted to get into places before they institute Perhaps. some sort of passport or something. Interesting. Well, there you go. I'll send you, you the podcast and you can listen to it yourself because I'm not doing that. I'm not no, subjecting I don't myself know if to I that. I do it either, but no, oh, that's interesting. Janine, you hypocrite! <laughs> yeah. And she's defending this professor. Jesus Christ. Anyways, as as the interview goes on, Ezra says this all goes against the Hippocratic Oath by forcing people to receive a vaccine because doctors should never force you to take a medicine, especially a medicine you don't need and a medicine that could harm you. To prescribe a drug that someone does not need seems to be a violation of medical ethics. And to prescribe a drug that they don't need that has a risk of harm violates that essential Hippocratic oath, do no harm. And I want to say that, like, uh, this is not a medicine, it's a vaccine. It will uh, help you, so therefore it's something that you possibly do need. And in fact, uh, most of the public needs it. And also, it very, 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 very likely will not cause harm to you. So, Ezra's full of shit. Who would have thought? What a surprise. (laughs) He also makes the claim that the virus gives you a better immunity than the vaccine. And then the funny thing is, Janine admits that uh, the university sent her, like, studies, peer-reviewed scientific studies, to show that vaccine immunity is way more robust than natural immunity. They are not going to compromise on the natural immunity. Uh, they That was actually their response to me in the first place. Was, uh, that they, we don't recognize this. They link to a CDC webpage, which, you know, says we can't be sure about natural immunity. This is a, a silly response in a number of ways. First of all, it was just sort of this general statement. Um, as we know, as uh, many scientists like Martin Kulldorff and Jay Bhattacharya have said, it's a ridiculous thing to say, well, we don't know how long natural immunity lasts. We don't know how long immunity from the vaccine lasts. Nobody knows that either. And in fact, we're making guesses about the vaccine based on what we know about natural immunity. And she just ignores, she, she brings this up and then just ignores it and says, yeah, but those don't really count. There's no evidence that vaccines are more robust than natural immunity. <laughs> and I've read the studies. Uh, it is quite, quite clear that the antibody response from the vaccine is way better than the antibody response from people who have been naturally infected. Ezra then again brings up the emergency use thing. And this is where I tell you, he is not going to, he's going to pivot in this direction. You mentioned that you think Pfizer might be approved by the FDA. The first thing um, I tell people when they talk about these vaccines is that they are not yet approved. None of them are approved. They're only uh, authorized for emergency use. Uh, I think that stuns people because they assume they're approved. They are not. Um, Now, that may or may not uh, happen. And I'm I'm worried that there will be corners cut for political reasons. And of course, he's going to start saying this because this is the first time he's caveated the emergency use thing. Because when this episode aired, the it started being reporting reported that the emergency use was around the corner or the the full approval was around the corner. And so Ezra saw that coming and is now pivoting away from it going, oh, these vaccines are just emergency use. But they're probably going to cut corners if they fully authorize them. As we said again, yesterday is when, uh, from when we're recording, is when they fully uh, authorized the Pfizer vaccine. And my guess is Ezra's going to still be an anti-vaxxer. 
regardless of the authorization, which means when he's making these points right now, he's completely full of shit. He hasn't read the report about the Pfizer report. He knows nothing about its full approval, and yet he's already preempting it, saying they're going to cut corners. Wonderful. Of course. Ezra then says that the vaccines are now less efficacious, but then he doesn't say why. But I see the top story right now as we speak on Drudge Report is that Pfizer's vaccine, the efficacy, its ability has fallen to 42 percent. You know, we had been told that these these vaccines were 80, 90 percent effective. So I I think this whole thing is still a giant experiment. Why why are the vaccines less effective right now, Vienna? Let's see if you know the answer to this. Variants. I don't know, honestly. Nailed it. You got it. Delta. Delta is way more infectious. That's the only. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. You know what's amazing is that you you felt like, I don't know, and threw out a guess, and you were right. And Ezra <laughs> just couldn't fucking figure it out. Ezra then says that the death rates are so low, so why are we doing this? And I just want to say, like, that's partly true in Canada, but in America, the death rates are back up to 1,000 deaths per day. So uh, speaking to Janine Eunice, who's an American, like maybe this is something you should be concerned about. I also want to say Florida. Remember when I said that uh, she's a Ron DeSantis Democrat now or whatever the fuck she's saying? Yeah. Florida is now exceeding the amount of deaths. They're now at an all time high for deaths in their state than throughout the entire pandemic, which should not be happening. But it's happening because they're not vaccinating their population and not Mm. mandating uh, certain things. So congratulations, Florida. Ezra then wants to dive into the racist thing that you've probably heard if you've watched any Fox News stuff, which is that Ezra says African-Americans and minorities are the least likely to be vaccinated. I know that statistically speaking, CNN and the New York Times like to say right wing Fox voters are the least likely to uh, Fox viewers are the least likely to get vaxxed. Actually, in terms of sheer numbers, I think it's African-Americans. I think it's black Americans and other minorities. This is actually not true at all. 57% 57% of the unvaccinated are white. So that is not true. I think it's like technically true if you count like per population size. Uh, so like African-Americans in totality are less likely to get vaccinated than white people in totality. But yeah. since whites represent way more of the population... They account for 57% of the total unvaccinated population. I mean, and also, again, different contexts for not getting vaccinated. Like, Well, then the immediate, the immediate next thing that Ezra mentions is the Tuskegee experiments, mm-hmm. which is like, yeah, okay. And then he mentions the Montreal smallpox thing. And he says these are the things that are, are like the reasons for vaccine hesitancy. And like they might play some role. But the mere fact of the Tuskegee experiment existing doesn't mean that you should just not trust the vaccine. Like, I can understand why people don't, but there's ways of going about telling, like, trying to make those people comfortable and and increasing vaccine uptake. But Ezra's take is to agree that, like, the Tuskegee and the Montreal smallpox things are reasons for not taking the vaccine. And it's like, it's yeah. better to like find ways of dealing with people's hesitancy than to tell them your hesitancy, your hesitancy is correct. Don't get it, which is what Ezra's trying to do. It's very, like, it is pretty telling that like people are seeing like indigenous people and 
black people and like other minority groups being hesitant towards the vaccine and instead of seeing that as like oh wow yet another case where the medical community fails like communities of color or like you know talking about uneven distributions of health outcomes and like all of those other sorts of things it's like no no it's good that these people aren't getting vaccinated because it's like you know that more of them are gonna die now like i mean and, and largely because of those same disparities in health outcomes yeah exactly like it's very much just covid has exacerbated all of society's existing issues including unequal health outcomes for minorities that's it that's the whole thing like more people of color like people of color are more more likely to die of covid as well because of unequal health outcomes and all of those other sorts of things like it's just the same shit that that has been happening for fucking centuries at this point like fuck you ezra and uh, he ends this whole segment uh, saying that uh, he's he's happy with unions who are pushing back against vaccine mandates. And this is something you and I have discussed uh, on our live stream. And there'll be a YouTube up probably around the time this video comes out where we uh, discuss some of this. So if you want to know our thoughts on that, you could probably check that out. But like, Oh, briefly, it's just that, like, I I might be a little bit more in favor, I think, of the unions. I wish they would mandate it, but, like, I I realize, uh, as you had told me on uh, the stream, that given the things like the Tuskegee experiment, all this other stuff, people are hesitant, and how do you deal with that? And, like, there's issues with giving your employers uh, medical information. Uh, if you are immunocompromised and can refuse it, then now your employer has that information. And so it's, I think we left it at it being messy. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah, it is messy. But it, I, but this is another reason why I'm like, I, I'm kind of like mad at the union's takes, which is just like, now it's being used by Ezra, which is, it's gross. But yeah, the whole thing's a yeah. mess. Yeah. And, and we will end. This, this is just something that uh, was said at a mailbag segment, and it's vaguely related to COVID. I just thought that you would appreciate it, which he said... I mean, I'm not a Marxist, but I, I can't help but see there's a lockdown class. <sighs> you know, I, I like... I'm even trying to think, like, how would this even work? Like, <laughs> Marxist analysis of lockdown class. I, I don't I don't understand what the fuck yeah, Ezra's nope. saying. It's like Ezra's just like they you I'm using the word class to refer to people who want to lock things down. So therefore, Marxist. Whatever. One of the local mosques in town, uh, the Hyatt Mosque, uh, runs a soup kitchen and have been asking for donations to keep the soup kitchen up and running for supplies and like cookware and everything like that. So if you got some money, throw it their way. Uh, the donation link will be in the description along with maybe a little description of like the um, effort itself. Uh, it's been operating since July 2020, so like a little bit more than a year now, but 
it started during COVID and has been maintained during COVID and they kind of just need help to keep it going. And then I have two little articles. Uh, one's very short, like two minutes. Uh, and that one is, uh, did Canadian warplanes bring peace and human rights to Libya? The answer is no. What? I was expecting the answer to be yes. It's talking about Canada joining the NATO mission to Libya in March 2011 and uh, dropping um, 696 bombs of various types uh, using Canada's like CF-18 fighters and basically questioning like what what was the point of that and then also the Liberals' plan to spend. Uh, 19 billion dollars to purchase 88 new fighter jets uh next year in 2022 presuming that they are in government again and it'll take around another 60 billion to operate and sustain them for their full like life capacities and that really hasn't been talked about at all in the news in relation to the election in just like anything the expansion of the military budget and everything like that is just taken as kind of presumed ever since canada's intervention in afghanistan and uh, you know this is kind of just talking about the uh, the most recent time that canadian warplanes have been used and the fact that all they accomplished was contributing to death, destruction, and the continuation of the civil war in Libya. Yeah, quick, easy read. Annoying. Frustrating. I fucking hate Canada. The second article is longer, but it's a lot prettier, at least. Uh, and it's called The Myth of a Wilderness Without Humans. And it kind of just... I don't know. It talks about the, like, presumptions that are made, especially in, like, modern conservation theory and just like in the idea of conserving nature as somehow separate from humanity, um, generally at the expense of uh, indigenous people who have resided there and taken care of the land for thousands and thousands of years. That sounds really interesting. It's a good article. And it kind of goes into how that was like founded at uh, Yosemite Park uh, in the US and then just kind of like has since spread around the world, basically. And it started off with uh, a, dude, a dude named Ansel Adams taking pictures of the um, of like the natural environment in the Yosemite Valley and him having to like change his camera angles and everything like that to cut out the indigenous people that were watching him take the photos so that it could appear as a pristine wilderness and a you know new Eden and all of those other sorts of things that is like unspoiled and untouched and all of these other sorts of things that kind of just feed into like the colonial idea that man is separate from the natural environment. Yeah, it's a really good article. It's still not like super long, but it is, you know, more than like five paragraphs, which the other one is. Um, but it goes into like different international examples, um, of indigenous groups in North America, Latin America, 
a little bit of Africa, I believe, and I'm not sure if anywhere else. Uh, and then also even like talks about like the linguistic presumptions that are made by basing like conservation language in English, because a lot of a lot of languages just don't have or require words for concepts like wilderness or you know anything that kind of yeah, like yeah. draws a delineation between man and the world humanity and the world that we exist in because that is an artifice that's a clear artifice yeah yeah, yeah. no like it and it gets into that in like a really good way while also going through the history of the conservation aspect it's really good i had back in the days when i was like doing my philosophy work i had this inspiration to write a book eventually and who knows maybe i would write it one day but i was going to call it against nature because like all the uses and abuses of how we conceptualize and even talk about nature either essentializing it or by distancing ourselves from it as it being something separate than what we are and, and stuff like this anyways it probably will never okay. get written but these are things that i've no. definitely thought of before <laughs> Better plan against nature, eco Marxist magazine. Yeah. <laughs> then we can get multiple people writing for it. Writing for it, you just have to do the editing. We'll see. Maybe. Maybe. All right. No promises, though. I've already. Nobody steal our idea. Or <laughs> <laughs> uh, or fucking steal it. We're not. We're not against sharing. You know. Just don't don't make something shitty. You know. <laughs> Yeah, make it cool at least, you know? Yeah, if you're going to steal it, make it cool. Yeah, exactly. And if you support and enjoy what you've heard so far, uh, please consider giving us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. Especially if you're going to steal our last idea, then, like, definitely, like, throw us a few bucks, all right? And if <laughs> if you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at Imperial News of the Z. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News. We also have a Discord set up, and we will be doing Twitch streams every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can find all the links to our social media stuff in the show notes. Lastly, you can email us any questions at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at striatum.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening, and chicken pox parties, you canceled. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields.